You can turn with me to Luke 24. Third book of the New Testament. Luke. And the last section or the last chapter of that book. Luke 24. Just to give you a little heads up about what is coming, Lord willing, we will have three more sermons in Luke, counting today. It's hard to believe. We have been in this book a long time, and we are fast approaching the end. So the plan is to have three more sermons, including today, and then between Thanksgiving and New Year's, we're going to have a six-week series called Light in the darkness. So it's not going to be a Christmas series exclusively, but it will tie in very nicely with the Christmas season. Light in the darkness. And Paul and Matt Collier and I will be teaming up in those six weeks. So we're each going to preach different weeks, um, and I won't tell you which ones. So just, just keep showing up. All right. When Jill got out of her world into the world of Narnia, she met the lion Aslan, and as he spoke to her, she realized that he had called her out of her world for a mission, and he was giving her several signs to remember to help her on her mission. But right before Aslan sends Jill off on her mission, He says some final things to her. Remember, remember, remember the signs. Say them to yourself when you wake in the morning and when you lie down at night and when you wake in the middle of the night. And whatever strange things may happen to you, let nothing turn your mind from following the signs. And secondly, I give you a warning. Here on the mountain, I have spoken to you clearly. I will not often do so down in Narnia. As you drop down into Narnia, the air will thicken. Take great care that it does not confuse your mind. And the signs which you have learned here will not look as you expect them to look when you meet them there. That is why it is so important to know them By heart, and to pay no attention to appearances, remember the signs and believe the signs. Why is remembering so important? Because what we are to remember is true reality. But why is remembering so difficult? Because what we see around us and what we feel often seems to contradict true reality. And in our text today, we find people like us, people who forget what is real because they're caught up in what they see and what they feel. Luke 24, beginning with verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, 
The women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now, it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home, marveling at what had happened. This is God's Word for us today. Luke shows us something supernatural and something quite typical. He tells us about a supernatural event, the resurrection And he shows us the responses to that event. And did you notice in these 12 verses that Jesus is noticeably absent? Luke makes no mention of Jesus meeting with any of these people. It's the first time since the early chapters of Luke that Jesus doesn't speak And Jesus is not present. It seems as though Luke is focusing more attention on the responses of people to the resurrection than he is focusing on the resurrection itself. And I think what he may be asking is, what will your response be to the resurrection? Will you trust the words of Jesus even when he is absent? Something supernatural, the resurrection. Now, when we talked about the crucifixion last Sunday, you may remember that I began by saying, This is it. This is the day. This is what everything has been pointing to. And in a sense, that is true, because through much of Jesus' earthly ministry, he was looking toward and headed toward his crucifixion. But the cross was not the end in itself. It could not be the end, because a dead man cannot save. So in another sense, this is the day that everything has been pointing toward. This is the day of victory, and it is the day of new beginnings. The first verse of the Bible, Genesis 1-1, 
tells us that God created the heavens and the earth in the beginning. But in Luke 24, 1, we find that God is beginning a new creation. And we'll see that in a couple of different thoughts here. First, the new age has dawned. The new age has dawned. Luke tells us that the women who had seen where Jesus was laid on Friday went back to the tomb taking spices that they had prepared. Why were they taking spices back to the tomb? Well, because they were going to put them on a corpse. They fully expected to find a dead body in the tomb. They were expecting to touch, to feel, and to prepare a cold and rigid corpse. But when they arrived, they found not the body, but a gaping hole into an empty tomb. And when does Luke say all of this happened in verse 1? On the first day of the week. It is Sunday. Not the Sabbath. And you may remember that for the nation of Israel, the Sabbath, the last day of the week, the final day of the week, was their high and holy day. So you would think that special things would occur on the Sabbath. But no, Jesus rested on the Sabbath. His corpse remained in the tomb on that high and holy day. But on the first day of the week, He was raised from the dead. And His absence from the tomb on that first day revealed that something new is beginning. Eternity has broken into time. The first age is coming to an end and the eternal age has started. The future is here. To mess with our timelines. The future is here and the present is passing away. The last days have begun and the clock is ticking down. The end is already happening. Why do I say that? Because at Jesus' resurrection and His ascension, the ages overlapped. The present age is still dragging on, but the new age has entered into this old age that's passing away. The light has crashed into the darkness, and the light is growing and pushing away the darkness. And so, brothers and sisters, we get together we corporately gather on the first day of the week, on Sunday, because it is the Lord's day. The day on which our Lord came out of the tomb and started something brand new. The old covenant, the old system, the old way of doing things is passing away. And the new covenant, the new age, the new way of doing things is here. And so we don't meet on Saturday as the Seventh-day Adventists do. We meet on the first day, the Lord's day. And why do I keep saying that this new age has begun? Where do I get that? Well, here's our second thought under this big point. 
the new life has begun. Look down at verse 3. Luke tells us that the women did not find the body when they looked into the tomb. The body was gone, but what was left in its place? We find out later in verse 12 when Peter shows up at the tomb and looks in that the linen cloths are still there by themselves. So the body of Jesus passed out of the linen cloths, leaving the shroud behind. And we'll see later in chapter 24 that Jesus is still showing up, but he's doing it in a different kind of way. He seems to be appearing and disappearing at will. Doors are locked and he's coming into a room with no physical access. He just shows up in the room. He never did that before. Jesus had a body just like ours, which was subject to all of the limitations we face. You try to walk through a locked door, it's not going to end well for you. Jesus had that same kind of body before his death. But something happened at his resurrection. The shining men tell the women at the tomb in verse 6 that Jesus has been raised. Our ESV translation says, has risen. But the verb there is actually passive. He has been raised. And that wording, has been raised, fits with the rest of the New Testament. If you start looking at how the apostles describe the resurrection of Jesus all through the rest of the New Testament, the, most of the time they describe it as not Jesus raising himself, but the Father raising Jesus from the dead. Why is that important? Jesus had a human body just like ours, and Jesus was lying dead in a grave just like all of us will do one day, unless he comes back first. And the Father reached down into death and raised the Son from the dead. And when he did that, what happened to Jesus' body? In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul tells us something about our bodies. He gives us this picture. The natural body is sown like a seed in the ground. The natural body is sown and a spiritual body is raised. Okay, so what's this picture? When you take a seed and you plant it in the ground, what naturally happens? A plant grows. Now here's a question for you. Is that plant different from the seed? Yes and no. It's not the same form as the seed, but that seed held the essential properties, the, the essential characteristics of the plant. So, what is Paul saying through this illustration? Resurrection bodies are still physical because we know that when Jesus rose, he was still recognizable to his friends. We'll see that as we go through the rest of Luke 24. Jesus even eats something to show that he's not just a ghost. He is physical. But 
Resurrection bodies are different from what came before because they are spiritual bodies, bodies which have been transformed by the Spirit of God. So the resurrection of Jesus was not merely God putting breath back into the body of Jesus. The resurrection was a transformation of the body of Jesus. So in the resurrection, God gave Jesus a new kind of body. So think of this. At Jesus' incarnation, when he became a baby, when he took on the form of man and and took on a body, at his incarnation, he became something he was not. He had always been God, but now he takes on a body. At Jesus' resurrection, Jesus becomes something he was not. He becomes a spiritual body, not merely a physical, mortal body. Now, why does that matter for us? It sounds like a lot of theoretical stuff. Why does it matter for us? Turn to 1 Corinthians 15, because I want you to lay your eyes on some words. 1 Corinthians 15. Paul is writing to the Corinthian believers, the Corinthian church, and he's talking about why Jesus' resurrection matters for us. 1 Corinthians 15, and look at verse 20. He writes, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, those who have died. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. Well, who's that man? Well, for as in Adam all die, because Adam sinned at the beginning, so also in Christ shall all be made Alive, but each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Okay, so what does this word first fruits mean? It means first part of a harvest. Recently, we've had fields all around us get harvested. And as I drive from our home here to the church building multiple times a week, I drive past a number of fields. And several weeks ago, the farmers started to get out in their combines and reap the corn. They were pulling in all the corn from their fields. There was one field where a combine made one or two passes and then just stopped. And I drove by for a couple of days, and he was just sitting there after having made one or two passes Maybe there's a great explanation for that. I don't know. But it was sitting there for a while. And then I realized after a few days, oh, he came back and he finished it. The field's all taken down. Now here's a question. When the farmer came back to finish the field, was the second part of the harvest different from the first part? No. The same thing. So he harvested one part, waited a few days for whatever reason, and harvested the second part. 
The first part of the harvest is not different from the rest of the harvest. The first fruits are the same kind of thing as the entire harvest, the completed harvest. So what is Paul saying? In Jesus' resurrection, He is the first one of a new humanity. A new kind of person. Jesus is the first one with a spiritual body. And this is the difference between the resurrected Jesus and the people that Jesus raised from the dead while he was on the earth. So think of a couple of examples. Think of the daughter of Jairus, 12-year-old girl. She dies. What does Jesus do? He comes to her and he places physical life, breath, spirit. He, he places life back into her and she stands on her feet and goes on living. Think of Lazarus in the tomb. Jesus calls him out. He places physical life and breath back into Lazarus. And Lazarus stumbles out or somehow comes out of the grave all wrapped up in his grave clothes. Lazarus couldn't just come out of his grave clothes. He had to be unwrapped from them because both Lazarus and Jairus' daughter were not raised to spiritual bodies. They were just raised to the same mortal bodies they had before, and they both ended up dying again. But Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, is different from that. His body is a spirit-transformed body, which is different from the body he had before. So because he is the first fruits, the first of the harvest, what does that mean for us? It means the rest of the harvest is just like him. The resurrection which Jesus experienced is the resurrection which all of his people will experience. The kind of body which Jesus has now is the kind of body which you will have one day. And also, because Jesus is the first fruits, your resurrection has already started. Why do I say that? Because Paul tells us in the book of Ephesians and the book of Colossians, which we just read a little bit earlier, that when Jesus rose from the dead, all who believe in him were raised with him. So his new resurrection, his resurrection life is already started in you if you are in him. New life is already at work in you. And so let me say this. Your inner self is as resurrected as it's ever going to be. Your outer self is just waiting to catch up. Your inner self is as resurrected as it's ever going to be and your outer self is just trying to catch up. And this is why we can talk about the already and not yet of our Christian experience. Your resurrection has already happened if you are in Jesus because he was resurrected. But your resurrection is going to happen one day when he finishes the job on your body. So there is no question. There is no uncertainty. There's no maybe or if about this resurrection because the first fruits has come, it's guaranteed to happen. The future resurrection has begun. The future is here. 
The new age has dawned because new life has come. So what does that mean for us today, this week, tomorrow on a Monday? Well, as you feel your outer self wasting away in all sorts of different ways, remember that your inner self is being renewed, made new again and again and again, day after day. It doesn't matter how much time separates our resurrection from Jesus' resurrection. Just like it didn't matter how much time there was between the combine made the first couple passes and when he finished the job. The harvest was the same, no matter how much time was in between. And just as Jesus has started the resurrection, the rest is going to follow. So what does that mean for us? We have hope. No matter what you are walking through, no matter what you are feeling in your body, no matter what discouragements you feel, there is hope and confidence that the end is written and it is coming. You have hope, but you also have power. Resurrection power is at work in you, brothers and sisters, right now. The power that God used to reach down into death and bring Jesus out of the grave is the same power that's at work in your life today. You may not feel like it. You might feel pretty ho-hum and pretty routine and pretty normal, but there is supernatural resurrection power at work in you. And what does that mean? It means that the hold of sin on you has been broken. You do not have to sin anymore. This was revolutionizing to my thinking a number of years ago. Sin feels so powerful to us, does it not? And I don't know what your particular line of temptation is. I don't know where it is that you struggle the most. Maybe it's the alcohol which calls to you. Maybe it's the anger which wants to rise up in you. Maybe it's the greed which tries to consume you. Maybe it's the lust which wants to take over. But none of those things holds you anymore. Their back has been broken by the resurrection power of Jesus. And so by His power and by His Spirit at work in you, you can say, no to sin. It is possible. And it's not just possible, but it's God's plan for your life that you would live in victory over sin and not diving back into it day after day after day. If you are in Jesus, if His resurrection life is in you, you are a creature of the new creation and you're not meant to live like that anymore. You're meant to live like a citizen of the new age. So, this is why we have said that our church is here. Our mission is to proclaim the glories of Christ in Brevard and beyond. Because no one else can offer life-giving hope like Jesus. No one else can offer life-changing power like Jesus. 
No one else brings resurrection life like Jesus. So something supernatural has occurred in our text. But we've got to admit that in the early morning hours at a quiet tomb, it was really hard for a group of women to grasp what in the world was going on. And so we turn to our second header, something quite typical. What are the responses to this resurrection, this supernatural event? Well, look down at verse 4 of Luke 24. When the women saw the empty tomb, what was their reaction? They were perplexed. They were confused. There's your first response. Confusion. They don't know what they're seeing. And they're trying to figure out what in the world is going on. And then while they're standing there, blankly staring at this empty spot where they knew they had seen Jesus' body two days before, then all of a sudden there's these two shining men standing next to them. And they fall down on the ground. And now they're not just confused, but they're terrified. And what do the angels say? And I love this. They ask a piercing question. Verse 5. Why do you seek the living among the dead? And you can almost hear the women thinking, wait, what? We were seeking the dead among the dead. It makes sense that you seek a corpse at the graveyard, right? So you're saying, he's not dead? They go on in verse 6. He is not here, but he has risen, or he has been raised. So the angel's question, why are you seeking the living among the dead, seems to imply that they should have known better. It's almost as if the angels are saying, why are you here? Jesus isn't here. You missed him. So then the angels show why their question is meant to be convicting. Why should the women have known that Jesus would not be there. Look down at verse 6 again. What do they say? What do the angels say? Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. Why should the women have known that Jesus would not be there? Because uh, Jesus told them. Jesus said, I'm not going to be there. Jesus had clearly predicted everything that would take place, and it all happened, just like he said. Surprise. And did you notice in verse 7, the must, all these things must take place? If you've been with us, you remember Luke has emphasized this before, the divine must. God has a plan. He's going to carry it out. It must happen. And guess what? It did happen. And in verse 8, what is the women's response? And I love this. They remembered His words. Oh yeah. That's right. Yeah, that, That's true. He did say that. The angels had said, remember, 
And the women did remember. And what happened when they remembered? What happened after that? They believed what was true. How do we know that they believed? Why do I say that? Well, verse 9, returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. They went and told others the truth about Jesus. So brothers and sisters, let me make some applications here. The antidote, the solution to any confusion that you may feel about what God is up to or about what's going on in your life, the solution to confusion is remembering Jesus' words. As Aslan said in the story I shared at the beginning, the air down in our world gets thick. The sorrow and pain of our world mess with our minds. And it's easy to get confused. It's easy to forget. And so what's the solution? Remember the signs. Remember His words. So, when the culture tells you that you would be happier if you left your spouse, remember Jesus' words. What does He say? Have you not read that He who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Remember Jesus' words. When the world around you seems to be falling apart, and you don't know what's going to happen. And you're really scared about it. Remember Jesus' words. And what did He say? Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when all these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads. Why? Because your redemption is drawing near. Remember Jesus' words when you're scared and fearful. When you lose a loved one and the pain makes you wonder if God loves you and you feel as though God has abandoned you, remember Jesus' words. Neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Remember Jesus' words. His words are not always meant to take away our suffering. His words are not always quick fixes to problems. But apparently... God knows that the best thing we need is not answers. The best thing we need is a vision of Him and His Son and what He has done for us so that we will remember that He will carry us through. So remember Jesus' words. 
And do you know these women had to remember audible words that they had heard Jesus say? We have written words that we can go back to over and over again. So remember them, rehearse them, read them. And then, when you remember Jesus' words, what's the appropriate response after that? What did the women do? They went and they told people. So, when you hear and see and believe again something true from Jesus, when God fires your heart with truth from his word, go tell somebody. Tell a family member. Tell a brother or sister in our church. Tell a neighbor. Tell a coworker. Tell somebody on the street. Tell somebody who Jesus is and what he's told you about himself. So remember Jesus' words and then go share Jesus' words. But when the women told Jesus' apostles all this truth that they had just heard about, what was the second response? Look down at verse 11. These words seemed to them an idle tale. And they did not believe them. The women's message seemed like nonsense. And this word, idle tale, actually has the idea of somebody who's in a fever and is just gibbering. It's nonsense. They thought this message was humbug. Why? Well, for starters... Who's bringing the message? Women. And at this time and in this culture, women were not viewed as reliable witnesses. The Jewish historian Josephus wrote that they were not permitted to testify because of their giddiness and impetuosity. There you have it. The culture didn't accept women as reliable witnesses to an event. And yet, who did Jesus choose to be the first messengers of his resurrection? Women. Once again, we see, as Luke has been showing us all through his gospel, that Jesus chooses those whom the world disregards. Jesus honors and elevates those who seem small and insignificant. And I'll just say that throughout human history, as Jesus' work, as Christianity has spread through the world, women have consistently been honored and elevated. So don't be intimidated by the claims that some people make about Christianity being a religion that demeans women or claims that women are not on equal standing with men. That is not a historical claim. It's a foolish claim. Now, of course, there are people, there are factions, there are groups who claim the name of Christ and who dishonor women. It's terrible, and they are not following in the steps of Jesus. But in Christ and in His church, women are honored are esteemed and are trusted. 
And it's really significant that Luke goes on to name the women. Did you see that? He doesn't have to do that. Why would he do that? Well, you know that in some sensitive court cases, the identity of jurors or witnesses may be kept secret. Why? So that vindictive people can't hunt them down and take revenge after a decision has been made in a court. Luke's not too concerned about that. He just lays their names out there. Why? So the people in the early church can go and find them and talk to them in person and say, hey, Joanna, hey, Mary, hey, other Mary, hey, other women, tell me about that. And yet the apostles, the apostles, the 11, did not believe. The first skeptics were Jesus' own followers. And is this not a temptation for for followers of Jesus still today? It's so easy for us to move from a state of confusion. What is God doing? I don't understand. It's easy for us to move from that to, I don't believe anymore. I don't believe it. Friends, this is a danger for all of us, even those of us who may think that we are the closest to Jesus. Because if the 11 who walked with him and heard him and talked with him can forget his words, then so can we. So remembering Jesus' words, remembering is the solution to our confusion and remembering is also the solution to our disbelief. We have to remember Jesus' words. Coming to Jesus is not a one-time-and-I'm-fine decision. Following Jesus is a daily returning to Him. It's a daily believing in Him. It's a daily remembering what He has said. So here's a couple other points of application for us. First, remembering is a corporate event. It's a collective event. Left to ourselves, isolated by ourselves, we are going to forget Jesus' words. And so each of us has to keep showing up here. And it is hard to do that on Sundays, is it not? Some some weeks you just don't feel like coming. I know that because I feel that way sometimes. So let's just own it and say, sometimes we all struggle to show up. But this is our Lord's God-given means for helping us all to remember. Because when you stand out there and you hear brothers and sisters around you singing and confessing truth about Jesus, then you remember what you believe about Him too. And as you sing, your voice is reminding brothers and sisters around you that what we believe is actually true. So remembering is a corporate event. So keep showing up. You need it, and we need it. And to, our, to my brothers and to myself, let us not dismiss the Spirit-given, Scripture-controlled words of our sisters who speak truth to us. God has given, yes, the role of preacher, pastor, elder to men in the church. The public preaching and teaching of the church is to be done by men. But that does not negate the fact 
that our sisters can speak truth to us in personal conversations, in small group discussions, in all sorts of venues. Apollos, in the early church, was a powerful speaker. And yet he was corrected and instructed by whom? Priscilla and her husband. So, brothers, let us listen to our sisters when their words are governed by the Spirit and by the Scripture. And so, sisters, let your words be governed by the Spirit and the Scripture. And then, don't be afraid to speak, because we need to hear from you too. So the responses to Jesus' resurrection are confusion and disbelief. And we can get tied up in knots by both of those. But there's one more briefly. Verse 12. Peter rose and ran to the tomb. When was the last time we saw Peter? When he was sobbing because he had denied his Lord three times. And what did he do in that moment? He ran away into the darkness. And I think here, Luke is contrasting Peter with the rest of the apostles who do not believe. We don't know yet if Peter is actually believing, but what is he doing? He's running toward his Lord, or at least where his Lord was buried. And he gets to the tomb and it says that he sees inside the linen cloths by themselves. And there again is just one more tangible evidence that this was a supernatural event. Because let's think about this. If this was just some grave robbers breaking into a tomb and stealing a body, would they have taken time to unwrap the body and leave the wrapping there? Probably not. And second... That wrapping, the linen shroud, was probably the most valuable thing in the tomb. So they wouldn't have left it there. So once again, one more evidence. This is a supernatural event. And Peter goes home marveling. So here's your third response. Amazement. Amazement. He can't get his mind wrapped around what he's seeing. Something obviously has happened. Something supernatural has occurred and he cannot quite accept it. And friends, even when Jesus tells us plainly what's going to happen, aren't we still sometimes surprised when it happens? It's kind of like we never expected him to do it all along. And then when he shows up and does something, we are kind of like, Oh, wow. He actually did what he said. And we're amazed by it. Sometimes we can't quite believe what Jesus says. We can't get our minds around it. But the answer is not to run away from Jesus in those moments. The answer is to run toward him. So, whatever your situation may be today, the answer is the same. Remember, remember, remember the signs. Remember Jesus' words. We don't see him. 
They're just like these followers. Where is he? I can't hear him. I can't see him anymore. Yep, that's been most of Jesus' followers down through human history. We can't see him. We can't hear him. So, will you trust the words of Jesus when you can't see him? In your confusion, in your sorrow, in your pain, remember Jesus' words. In your disbelief, remember Jesus' words. And in your amazement, you can't quite believe it, remember Jesus' words. Let's pray. So Holy Spirit, you have helped us today to remember the words of Jesus. And we pray that you would use this time to drive them deeply into our minds and hearts so that this afternoon, tomorrow, this week, we will continue to remember and believe that what you have said is true. And I pray for those who are here who have not yet believed that what Jesus says is true. Holy Spirit, would you reach down into their dead hearts and would you bring them to life? Would you resurrect them and cause them to see that what Jesus has done is real? We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.